1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of the Mom Hour Voices. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. What's up, Sarah?
0: Hey Megan. Thanks for having me on. I feel like I'm a guest.
1: I know. Usually we don't um, have each other on our interview shows. One of us generally takes the interview, but we've been kind of having fun just coming on together and doing the intro and then you get to hear everyone's voices.
0: I like it. I like it because it's fun to take turns with these interviews. I feel like I am a listener. Like I get to hear what you talked about and vice versa. But I also, as a listener, I really love hearing co-hosts set up an interview together.
1: I do too. And I think it's great that you're on this one, especially because you have actually interviewed um, the person, the awesome guest that I interviewed today, which is Asha Dornfest. Asha is the author of Parent Hacks and the Parent Hacks website. She's also co host of the Edit Your Life show. And she was what, our very first? Yeah. Our very first Voices interview. We, How we didn't long even ago was call that?
0: it. We didn't. Okay. It was a year after we launched. So it was May of 2016. So two and a half years ago, a year after we launched this podcast, we started doing monthly interviews. I don't even think we called them Voices in the beginning because we didn't have a name for it. And Asha was the very first one. And I really had no experience being an interviewer when I did that either. You you did, but for some reason, I did the first interview.
1: Yeah, that's funny. And I think... Um... I want to point out that Asha is such a good guest that you don't even need to be good at interviewing anyway, no, not she, to take anything away from you.
0: Sarah. She's like the world's best human. Let's just She really, really is.
1: And um, when you guys talked, you talked about her, books, parent, her book, Parent Hacks, and her website, Parent Hacks, yes. and kind of parenting little kids. And we're doing something different today. We're talking about parenting young adults um, because Asha has a college-aged son who just went off to college and a sophomore in high school daughter. Um, and also we're talking about her, like, I think the way we framed it is sort of this, as your kids get older, sort of emerging in a new way and growing up as a parent. Yeah. And Asha has gotten very politically involved in the last few years. And we talk about that. Um, it's not a political episode. We're not, you know, I know everyone's like, ugh, I I don't come here for that, but we really just talk about getting involved and making a difference in your own way. It's totally not partisan. Um, but Asha is so encouraging and she makes it sound like something manageable. If you're feeling overwhelmed by you know, what's going on around you and in your feed and the election coming up and do you really, you know, get to have a voice? Do you does your opinion matter? She is here to say yes. And I think it's one of those things that no matter where you are in the parenting journey, there's some place for you to plug into what's happening around you in the outside world.
0: I, I love that so much. And I think if you are in the trenches with little kids, it's so hard to even you it's very rare to stop and ask yourself like what will fill my time? when my kids yeah. are in college. She's got one in college now and one in high school. But Asha started her website and her blog when she had two little kids. It's, yeah, I love hearing little. her talk because it seems like such an eternity away, but she's been writing online since she had little kids and now she has young adults. So it's not like yeah. she's this removed, you know, empty nester. Like she was just here a minute ago. What happened?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. She was just there. And also she has promised to supply us with a list of things that you can do in like two minutes or five minutes, um, from your home on your computer, on your phone that can make a difference, um, in your community and and in your world. So I I think that's cool too. We'll put those in the show notes. Okay. That's from our O-U-R place dot com code momour.
0: All right, Megan, are you going to lead us in to this? Interview? I'm going to lead you
1: into our interview with Asha, but uh, I'm going to bring you back.
0: I get to so stick around,
1: stick around and everyone get ready because this is going to be a, an awesome interview with Asha Dornfest. Asha, it is so good to talk to you. I have a huge smile on my face right now. I feel the same. It's been too long. Mm -hmm. Silly. It really has been. Life happens that way sometimes, right? And um, I I definitely want to catch up because I know that we interviewed you for our very first mom, or we didn't even call it the mom or voices then. We just called it like bonus interview because we had never done an interview before and you were our first, (laughs) our very first interview. But I think um, it was you and Sarah. And I think you talked a lot about... um, you know, parent hacks and you had built this entire career around parenting a little ones. Yeah. And that is not the case for you anymore, nor, nor for I, or for, you know, some of our listeners and even those, we have a lot of people who have little children, but they also are looking forward to this other time of their life, right. Where their kids are going to get older. And I think they like that voyeur, that voyeuristic view.
2: (laughs) Oh, I, I know I always did when my kids were younger, I, I really would look ahead a couple of years and, you know, those are my friends who had older children. It just felt like, oh, thank goodness. You know, right, I could that see happens. something going ahead. Right,
1: exactly. So let's right. talk about a little bit about where your kids are right now. And then, you know, you've got a son in college. Like, how did how you get there? And how did that happen? How, how did that happen? <laughs> how did how did, that happen? <laughs> what has that experience been like? Just give me a, like a snapshot of where you are, and then I'm probably going to ask you some questions.
2: All right, sounds good. So the snapshot of where I am right now is that I do have, my oldest is in college. He just started uh, his freshman year. Uh, this year. So he's 19 years old, started freshman in college. And my a younger one, it, my daughter is 15. She's a sophomore in high school. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're, I've called it at times, we're in the exit lane of parenting. Oh.
1: <laughs> Although it's a really long exit lane. I have to say, I'm not sure you ever totally get off.
2: No, you absolutely <laughs> don't. I think you pretty much spend the rest of your life possibly in that lane. Yes. But it really has been. Uh, a shift. And I'm so glad that we're going to be talking about it because I feel like um, it's actually it's it's such a wonderful time. I feel like in some ways I'm I started feeling like I like I was coming into my own as a parent when my kids became teenagers. And I feel even more so that way now.
1: That is really good to hear. I have to say and I have a son who's older than your son and one who's just younger. And this has been a really interesting time for me. I know we talked at one point, and I can't remember if it was your podcast or my podcast or some old podcast I used to have, um, but I definitely remember talking to you about how difficult it can be to help kids find out, like walk that very delicate line between advocating for themselves and being who they're going to be and you staying out of it, but still offering that advice and that help and that support. So I would love to hear, you know, Was your son's college choice, was that mostly on him? Did you work together on it? Like, how did you get from, say, where your daughter is now to where your son is now? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such an interesting boy. Because that's kind of,
1: that's sort of when it starts to happen, right? That's when the the ramp begins for them. So...
2: Yes. So I will say it was a combination of both of those things. So I very much framed the whole college application process with my son as... I will be your helper Mm. in this process if you want it. If you don't want it, just let me know. If you do want it, um, I'm happy to do some of the some of the legwork for you. You know, meaning he needed to do the sort of important work of of thinking through his values and his preferences and and all of that stuff. I could do some of the administrative work, you know, like checking on deadlines and stuff like that just to sort of help out because the fact was that during that period of time, he had a massively, um, busy school load and he was also on something called the constitution team, which was just a huge commitment, um, on his part. So, you know, that was how I framed it. I really framed it. Um, I made very clear to him that I was taking a back seat in terms of the driving. Um, that said I did, I did assist him quite a bit. I, you know, I was sort of his editor for his college essays and things like that, but Um, but the conversations were always, um, really geared toward my asking him questions.
1: Yeah. I want to stop right there for a second, because I think that modern parents, we have this really, um, this sort of dichotomy and what it's that we remember what it was like when we were in college and the way we think it was maybe isn't all that accurate, but the way we think it was, was like you picked a school, at least in the Midwest where I come from, you picked a school, your guidance counselor helped you a little bit. You kind of did it yourself in a way. And I think things have, A, things have changed. B, I think parents are more aware. Definitely the landscape has changed for kids. And also I didn't know a lot of stuff that I wish someone had told me. Like there's just things about life you don't know. So I know for myself, like I've kind of walked that line between how much is too much helping, how much is not enough. And when you brought up administrative stuff, that's where I really, I could have used more help as an, um, as a, you know, perpetual, not perpetual, it's not the word I'm looking for, prospective college student, I could have used more help with the admin because I hadn't been in the world long enough to know how any of that stuff worked yet. And I'm wondering if you, our kid, did you think that he was savvier than you thought he would be, less savvy? Did you ever have like any friction points around that?
2: So I think the first thing I will say to that is to give some context because I too, like you, when I applied to college, it was me, my paper application form, yes, and and uh I never really thought beyond you know the few public schools in my you know immediate yeah. in my state, and that was fine and so had he been sort of going that direction and saying, you know, sort of saying to us all along like I just want to go to you know the public school in Oregon or whatever, then I wouldn't really have gotten involved. That's not what he had been saying, and so. My helping him really was, um, it wasn't sort of like, I'm going to help him because he really need needs help. It was more like he had sort of indirectly expressed that desire for a little bit of assistance. Mm. And so I was really following his lead all along. I have all along said that you can be happy in any, pretty much any college that I don't, you know, we didn't have lots of opinions about which school he should go to, which size, which state. Yeah. As long as we could afford it, that right. was the first That's the thing. the big thing, yeah. And then um, beyond that, it was really up to him. And so I just followed his lead as much as possible. So you then asked, you know, was he savvier than I expected, maybe less savvy? <laughs> I think what I discovered for him individually was that he had a lot of just outside pressures that had nothing to do with college. And so he needed that extra support mm. just so he could juggle everything. Yeah. Um, I don't think every kid needs all that support. Some kids just really don't yeah. and some kids do. I don't, but I actually was more involved than I expected to be.
1: Yeah. And I think, and, and from my experience, what I'm realizing, especially about um, my, not my oldest, but my second oldest is that he doesn't ask. So he doesn't ask for things ever. Right. Like help. And so yeah. it's kind of like you have to, they won't always tell you what they need. They don't always know a, um, but B, they won't always tell you even if they do know. And that's something mm-hmm. that I just kind of thought, well, he'll know. He'll know what he wants and he'll know and, and we'll have a conversation. And and then I realized, like, I'm really going to have to be a lot more proactive and j- almost draw it out of him the way when he was 10 years old. I would have had to ask him how his day was in a different way than how was your day. Right. And like really get totally.
2: to that. Um, well, you know, and um, I just have to jump in and say, you know, what I hear you saying and this is what my experience was, is in the end, it's it's a culmination of of how well you know this kid. You know this kid pretty well. And you know that this kid probably needs different things than other kids. And it's just a matter, for me, it was just a matter of responding to those things. And I think the other thing that I really tried to do all along, you know, starting long before the college actual application process, was just lowering the anxiety around the whole thing. You know, that basically... Uh, You know, community colleges is available to everybody. And in Oregon, it's actually free. You know, so so there are there really is no way if one wants to go to college, there's just no way that any of this has to be um, too stressful because it's all going to be good. And so I think that was the other big role that I played was offering a counterpoint to that sort of drumbeat of anxiety that's happening at school.
1: Yeah. And the idea that there's a there's one timeline. And it begins yes. like, you know, right at the beginning of second semester, your junior year or whatever. And if things aren't, if ducks aren't in a row, you've missed the boat. And I think that that is definitely the narrative kids are hearing these days. Mm-hmm. And it's not helpful because, no. gosh, we have so many years after that. <laughs> yeah, it's not helpful. It's not even true. Right, right. It's not even true. And mm-hmm. and I think it limits your options because at that point, you haven't even had time to think about it. You haven't had time to explore. Um, maybe your academic situation is going to look different in a year. Maybe your Interests are going to be different, or you're going to have done something that's going to position you in a different way. It's like mm-hmm. there's always there's always more options than that. Mm-hmm. I do want to circle back really quick because the money thing I know for anybody who's listening and has um, little kids who one day will you know they think are going to want to go to college or kids who are getting closer to that, when you say we had to be able to afford it, how did you even know because <laughs>
0: <laughs> because right. private
1: schools have they say better um better financial aid packages but what does that even mean like how did you determine affordability for yourself and your and your family
2: we determined it based upon our own savings account okay our own budget and conversations with our financial planner person okay and yeah you know that and i don't think the financial planner person is necessarily required i mean not everybody works with somebody Um, But we basically just looked at what we had saved. We looked at our income and all that stuff. And we came up with a number that was like, okay, well, I think we can manage this amount, um, you know, without debt. For some people, that's, you know, people are going to need to take on loans and whatever else. We came up with a number that had nothing to do with the tuition numbers we were reading in books Mm. or things like that. And so then um, we came up with this number. We shared this number with our son and said, OK, here's our number so you can apply anywhere, anywhere you want, even if uh, the tuition on the packet says one hundred thousand dollars a year, which none of them did. I'm just right. saying that. Um, and then we'll see what comes back and we'll see what kind of financial aid you know, offers come back. And so, um, you know, some of it was sort of like setting expectations, yeah. sort of like, you know, you can apply anywhere you might get into a place that seems really great and it's beyond this number and that's going to be off the table if that's the case. So just know that that's what's going on. So you so set we the did.
1: expectation that there could be some disappointment. Yes. Were there any places he applied to and was accepted that in the end you would have had to say no to? Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. In fact, we, we visited one of them uh, and uh, we only went on college visits uh, after he was accepted to various places. I and think that's these really places, smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, yeah. There are arguments both ways, but I, I think that actually does help with the whole disappointment. Right. Thing. <laughs> Did
1: you, I mean, remember being that age and just the feeling of walking on a campus and just falling in love with it? Yeah. You know, that's a different thing than looking at an, applica- an application booklet or a website. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. So so we ended up visiting a campus that didn't hadn't yet come out with its final tuition numbers, which still makes me scratch my head. Because how do you expect somebody to say yes? Right. When, there's no final number <laughs> anyway. Know. So, right. So we were actually there and I went into the financial aid office and I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use my formidable powers of persuasion and go in there and just see, see what I can drum up in yes. terms of some money. And what I came away with was, oh, this is way over our number. And yeah. I had to let my son know while we were there, like, this is not an option. And it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think this is. You know, again, the bigger picture here is that, um, you know, he was a partner in this decision making process and being a partner in a process doesn't always mean getting your way.
1: Yeah. And, And it's a very adult lesson to learn. And yeah. And the fact that you didn't say no and just have it come off as an arbitrary thing but he knew going in, this was a possibility. Here's the number, like all of the information that was necessary was provided to him so he can see it logically. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, you know, and I think framing again, framing all these conversations from way back when as, um, OK, you know, we're partners in this process. You know, it really is different than than the conversations we had had before where, you yeah. know, like I'm the mom, you're the kid. And it felt great. But it was also but it was a shift.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk really quickly or not even really quickly because it might take us a while about the emotional side of sending um, a child off to college or mm-hmm. to to enter the world as an adult, I see everything represented. Facebook is so funny to me because you see every way of experiencing something represented in like these little paragraphs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So true. Yes. And so the way I've seen it and the way and my experience has been like, it's time, like fly, you know, spread your wings, Birdie. Um, With some pangs, you know, that, that those lasts feel very lasty. When you know (laughs) that it might be the last, you know, lasty, that's so lasty, like when it might be the last time your kid just happens to be around on Thanksgiving because they might find something better to do or, you know, you just don't know. And there is a pang and it's bittersweet, but I've seen everything on both ends of the spectrum from woohoo. Can't wait to have them out. I am turning their bedroom into an office post haste to like people bereft and really having a hard time. I'm curious how that was for you. So
2: this has been such a huge surprise to me. Um, I'm a pretty sentimental person. Yeah. Um, Although I'm not somebody I I have just completely enjoyed my kids older, you know, teenage years. And so I was pretty super excited about this, but I was expecting it to be incredibly hard. And I, like you, have felt this, you know, fly, be free energy. Like it has felt it has really been great. And, you know, my kid moved, you know. 1500 miles away. He moved really far away. And I just, um, it's not to say there haven't been tears because there have, but it's really been more about pride and, Mm -hmm. um, this joyous feeling than it has been about sadness for me. And, um, you know, I miss him, but I feel like this has just been such a brave and right step for him to take that. it, It just, it's not the feeling that I expected. And you know, another interesting surprise is that my husband is the one who is really sort Whoa. of you know, walking around really feeling sad that yeah. that he's gone. And and um he was he was less involved. I mean, he was very involved in the college, you know, application process, but not in the same way that I was. I was more directly involved. And so he too has been surprised like I can't believe I'm walking around just moping, you know. Yeah. <laughs> For him, he he didn't expect it either. So, I think I think I've learned something. And that is that I, I just, I need to just sort of experience these experience these moments as they happen, rather than having too many expectations yeah. about how it's going to be, you know? And I also realized that I, my younger daughter, you know, like our relationship is super different than my relationship with my son, how we relate to each other. And so I'm s- sort of setting my own expectations and going, different it's going to it's going to be different next time. You know, yeah. she's so different. We are so different in terms of yeah. our relationship. So yeah, well, but it's been, it's been a great, it's actually been a great experience.
1: I wonder too, in your, in your, I think that you and I, well, you've done Enneagram, right? Have you, no. done the, you haven't done the Enneagram? No. Oh, Asha. I'm sure you're, you're a two. <laughs> I've heard of it. I'm sure you're a two. I'm sending you the test as soon as we get off. But you and I have a lot in common in, <laughs> we do. in that we are um, caretakers and emotional people and intuitive people and kind of like and sentimental. And it's it was actually very surprising to me then that having my kids grow up and, and go off to their own lives didn't hurt as much as I thought it would. But I think some of that is because we get to get sentimental about where they are now. Like there's something yeah. about that that really scratches that itch and if you're if dad is maybe a little more systems oriented or a little more like um what's the word i'm looking for like just used to the way things are and the way they've always been like i it's interesting how it could be like it could kind of be um kind of come out of left field this sudden feeling of loss or yeah. something because they didn't get to i don't know like they di- they don't experience the separation as this romantic thing like we didn't get to, they're just like, Hey, where's my kid?
2: Well, you know, that cat Stevens song cats in the cradle. Yes. Oh my gosh. My husband hears that. And he's like,
1: Oh no, uh, you know, it's yeah. just this,
2: this feeling of time passing, but you, you know, you're right. I think, um, uh, there is something I, I have always sort of been a person who lives in the present moment for mm-hmm. the most part. And I say that for better or for worse, because sometimes it means that I sort of forget things that have yes. happened in the past. And sometimes it also means that I don't plan well for things in the future. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know that feeling. <laughs>
2: yep. But the good news is like, you know, I'm, I'm just here right now and it feels good. So it's been it's been really good. And I think also it maybe has made it a little easier for my son to go because yeah. he knew that he wasn't leaving behind somebody who was just totally brokenhearted. Yeah. But you know, I say that and then the fact is we just all feel the way we feel. That's just the yeah. way it is. Yeah. And I, I I don't think there's one better way or worse way or anything except to say, you know, that we, we support our kids the, the best way we can. That's it. Yeah. That's, That's it. all we can do.
1: End of story. And, and another thing that I think is really as a person whose emotions can be very up and down is like emotions are like buses. <laughs> Wait fifteen minutes, and a different another one, one will is, come along. Another one will come along, and that's actually been a very good lesson for me learning all parenting things, but especially as they get older and everything is so loaded. Just knowing I can feel this way now, but it's like I'm you're not with me right now. But I'm doing this thing with my pen that I'm holding in my hand, where it's like a dip, like going up and down and up and down, <laughs> and you ride them out because you, you don't know and and. I will think it's interesting to hear from you because my only daughter is so much younger than yours. I'll I'll be interested to hear if it's different with your daughter. If, if just the mom daughter thing or the different relationship you have will make a difference for you.
2: Well, Um, I'm, I'm already predicting that it's going to be harder because she and I are so similar. Yeah. And so she and I really, really just see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so it's going to just, but, but then again, uh, you know, I say that, but. I, you know, I, I really shouldn't predict. I shouldn't yeah. predict because I wouldn't have predicted feeling this way about my son going.
1: Well, my daughter thinks that when, um, when she goes and she's nine, she thinks that when she goes to college, she and I are going to be roommates. <laughs> We're going to get an apartment and be roommates. <laughs> and I don't have the heart to tell her that's totally not going to happen. She can have that fantasy for another couple of years because believe me,
2: it'll be gone. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure when she's 17, she may not. She's feel not that going way to anymore. want that
1: anymore. <laughs> um, so this is I, I'm I love having this catch up with you because it kind of sets us up for the rest of this conversation, which we're going to take a quick break, but we'll get back to. But it's this idea that like as our kids grow up, we grow up in a way. And and I don't mean that to suggest that if your kids are little, you're not a grown up at all. Um, but the way that we are in the world changes after having kids and then as those kids grow. And one of the things that I've loved watching you, you know, you're. I'm not going to say transformation, that sounds really corny, but you've really decided to get really involved in your community and um, politically in a way that you never did and using your voice in a way that you didn't do before. And I really want to dive into kind of like how that happened, how it coincided with your kids getting older, which parts had something to do with it, which had nothing to do with it, and what that journey has been like. The deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Asha. So we've talked about having kids that are getting older and sending them out into the world. And I love this as a segue because in a lot of ways, as my kids get older, I feel like I'm getting out into the world in a way that I just wasn't able to when they were really little or maybe just did. maybe chose not to because I know there are moms who are very active, like community organizers and and very political and a lots of different ways, very active in the communities when they, when their kids are young, but that was not the way I was. I really hid, I hibernated, um, for a long time. And, uh, can you relate to that at all? So,
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I feel like the various stages that I went through as a parent, um, they changed so wildly and they were completely attached to my kids stages. So, Yes, there were there were years of hiding. There were multiple years of hiding, yeah. actually, because and those years actually corresponded with when you know my kids were actually struggling, and yeah. so back you know at that time I just sort of went underwater and and like no one saw me or heard for me for a while. And, I was and then like, there were other times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I it was um it was, well that that's a whole nother story. Yeah, you know how it is. Every yeah. story is really like a whole book. <laughs> yes, but but then there were other times when um I did get more involved. And, but, you know, in general, I'm not a person who's great at multitasking. So generally when I'm focused on something, I need to sort of be focused on it. So I can't handle lots of complicated scheduling and, you know, some people are really great at that, but I'm not great at that. So, um, I definitely feel like there was more space, not just more time and like logistical space, but more mental space to actually think about other things.
1: Yeah, and and it's funny for me. I can do it. Like I can juggle a very um full calendar mentally. I I can keep up with it, but emotionally I fall apart. Like it really like having a routine where there's space for everything is so good for my soul, but it's so easy to forget that when you're just head down like mm-hmm. trudging forward. So, yeah. Let's let's talk about where you are right now because in a way, like I've just spent 2 years kind of caving up a little bit, you know, went through a mm-hmm. divorce and everything else and while it might seem to people listening to the podcast that I was very out there because they are hearing me every week, that was the only public thing I was doing. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. the only thing I was doing was showing up on this mic. Everything else was like hiding. And I was barely on social media. Like I really just fell off the face of the earth. And so when you kind of decide like, here I am, it's time to come back out. One of the things my attention has been drawn to lately is just kind of the state of the discourse in the world. And I almost hesitate to to use the word politics because I know Mm -hmm. that our listeners come from a wide variety of backgrounds and beliefs, Mm -hmm. systems and everything else. But but that's kind of what I'm talking about. I think we can all agree that we're at a very discordant place.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Did you
1: see that and was that a motivator for you or was that the world you kind of reemerged into and you were like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this?
2: Oh, that's such an interesting question. The world I reemerged into. So- Let's see how I can answer that. And so um but I let me just start with a caveat and that is to say that I really respect that there are um people with all sorts of political viewpoints and and backgrounds listening to your podcast and I think that's one of the things that I actually love about podcasts. You know, yeah. they're they're here and we can hear each other's voices and that's really great. So, I really want to talk about I want to talk about this from from the perspective of of you know, just what I'm doing As a parent and as a human, not so much about it's not so much about my own political views. So just I'll put that out there. Yeah, it's a good caveat Um, to have. I think it's important. Yeah, I I just because I think, um, well, let's I'll just talk rather than (laughs) framing what I'm saying. Um, To answer your question, I will say that um, after. Well, I would say around 2016, the presidential election, I did take this turn toward less less. Political activism and more like citizen engagement. I wanted to um, encourage the folks in my community to just get involved. However, that felt for them, you know, whether that felt like you know making phone calls or or talking to people or whatever, just plugging themselves in and, in whatever way worked for them. And that work has continued after the election. And so I yeah. have that. That's what I've been doing. And. The thing that is, I think, really relevant for our conversation is that it was completely and totally motivated as uh, by my role as a parent. Mm. that that the sort of passion and energy I bring to this work, which let me be clear, I've never done anything like this before. I've really never been particularly politically engaged before. But all of it has to do with my um, thinking about my own children, their future, And the future, as I see it, for kids in America, Mm. you know, of all sorts of different backgrounds. So that really is the fire that is, um, you know, energizing my political engagement work. So I guess you can say it wasn't like I just came back up for air, like in this totally new world. I was engaged in the world all along. And what I saw, um, I felt as a parent, I needed to do something about. Yeah. So. It really was it really was very much alongside my my personal role as parent.
1: I wanna dive into that and I love that because you're right. We view things differently when we have people that were responsible for their well being and their emotional well being and and being their character, you know, that Mm -hmm. really matters to me in a way that um I maybe didn't pay attention to as much before I had kids. Mm -hmm. Um Mm -hmm. it almost makes it impossible to be self serving about about politics, or at least impossible if you're thinking about it to be self-serving. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's, um, you know, it's their character. It's their safety. It's how we, you know, it's, it's just how we approach that. And to me, those two things, politics and the safety and character and sort of the world my children live in, those things to me feel extremely directly connected. Yeah. And so I wanted to have a positive effect on that.
1: So I want to ask you this. I think that one of the things that I run into as a working mom with limited time um, who sees things happening all around me and, and it's the social media, it's the snippets, it's, it's the opinions. Everybody has an opinion and they're all flying in your face. And, and I like to think that our listeners are very thinking people. I think that they are because I think that's the community that we've built. I think the more thinking and empathetic of a person you are, the more likely you are to sit back or be railroaded by people who are willing to really double down on an opinion without giving it a lot of thought or without feeling the need to justify it. And that's like one end of the, that's one extreme right of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And then we're like on the other end of the extreme with this Namby Pamby like needing to couch everything in a million different justifications. And you know what I mean? Like, we don't feel like we have the right or the n- information or the time to put it. We don't have the education. We, whatever it is, we don't have it mm-hmm. to put out an opinion and stand by it. And I know that I have had that problem. Like, I take way too long to respond to things because I need to think about it from every single angle. And I think that's great. Mm-hmm. But at some point, then you just end up getting run over or you never say it like you never mm-hmm. come out and say anything. So have right. you
2: dealt with that? Oh, so interesting. Okay, so yes, I've certainly dealt with that. Um I think one of the first things I will say to respond to that is that I have really taken the majority of my conversations offline and into my in-person community. That's one yeah, thing. That's smart. Um I think that um it's not to say there is nothing of value in social media because there certainly is. Yeah um but i actually think that the social media that we are working with today is different even than the social media of 2016 and certainly the social media before that yes i think that because of all of the various political scandals privacy scandals various other things that have happened in a lot of social media platforms not to mention issues of foreign influence mm-hmm. and hacking and all of that stuff i actually think that the platforms themselves are technologically different. And so, therefore, they're a little bit, um, uh, you know, what you see in your timelines, what you see, you know, scrolling past you on the screen is probably different than it would have been before.
1: Well, I need to say really quick, while you're saying that, it's really interesting. And and I don't know if this supports what you're, the, the differences that you're referring to or actually doesn't, but I have noticed that my feed has become less and less diverse which i really thought it would be the opposite i thought i'd be seeing more opinions that weren't like mine but the longer time goes on the fewer and fewer i see which mm-hmm. is is it has been the same for me yeah and in some ways it's comforting because who wants to fight i don't go on facebook to fight with people i go on facebook to look at their kids pictures and like read their blogs and stuff but but it also becomes kind of um there's that disconnect because you know that's not how the world is. You know that what you're seeing is not what's happening beyond your computer screen. And it's very difficult to jump back and forth or to think things are a certain way and then find out that's not how they are. It's like, it's very jarring, actually.
2: It is very jarring. There's sort of a fun house mirror quality to it. It really is. It's sort of like, what am I looking at, actually? Is it distorted? Maybe. I don't know. And so I've really found... Uh, you know, I think you're going to appreciate this since you and I, you know, came to social media after blogging for many years. And and actually, I think there's something to be said for podcasting, too, because the old school blogging that you and I used to do and now the podcasting that we're both doing, it's very much a conversation. Yeah. You know, it's it's it. This is literally our voices. But the blogging that we were doing before also, that was just our voices. We were sort of putting it out there in the world. It wasn't mediated by an algorithm or. Yeah. a a third party and i think um i feel now even more than i did in 2016 that these individual voices are so important Mm. just because the world of media and the world of social media feels it does feel like you're in this sort of um strange distorted space and you don't always know like What am I seeing? What am I reading? Is this really reflective of how my friends feel? Is this representational? I don't know. And I feel like it's more important than ever for me to actually step back and, first of all, call my friends on the phone. Second of all, talk to people out in the community here where I live in Mm -hmm. Portland, Oregon. And just, um, you know, the third piece of that, which I actually haven't gotten to yet, but that is to just start writing on a blog again. Yeah. Um, And just sharing those voices, because I think... um, I mean, this is me playing the long game. You know what I mean? I think that the long game really is, um, you know, connecting as humans. Um, But yeah, I find, uh, you know, actually to get back to your question, your question was, have I ever felt that way? Like, is it hard for me to actually respond with my opinions? I have to say, I think I've really found my voice. I find it easier to express my opinions now because I think my opinions really are around my values, um, mm-hmm. more than a particular political message. And I'm pretty clear on what my values
1: are. I love that because I think we get really caught up, especially people who do feel that urge to like, <laughs> not to come out with something that they haven't completely vetted or aren't hundred percent sure of. I'm not a policy wonk. I don't read like pages and pages of policy. I don't even, I don't mm-hmm. think I would understand it mm-hmm. even if I did, but that I doesn't know. mean I can't say this is wrong. This doesn't feel right to, this value that I hold dear. And, and that's all I need to know. Like all I need to know is that that's not what I believe.
2: Right. And I mean, I, I, I am not a policy wonk. I'm not even a, like, I don't even really know much about politics. I'm still learning about all of this stuff. Yeah. And so when I express opinions, it's based on my values. And then if, if a friend shows up and says, you know, Hey, have you really thought about it from this perspective? And maybe pushes back a little bit. I'm not talking about fighting and, you know, right sharing memes and comments or anything like that. I'm just talking about someone saying, you know, in a thoughtful way, Hey, have you thought about this? Then I can stand back and say, I have, I thought about that. Maybe I have, or maybe I haven't. And then we can talk about it, but that's the kind of conversation that actually leads somewhere. So I'm comfortable having that.
1: I think that as much as I love funny memes, I think that we can probably both agree that memes are like the lowest form of communication about anything important ever. Because all it does is either validate and make you feel good about something that without having to bother to actually have a conversation or on the other hand, just infuriates you for no, for no point. There's no point like you're right. infuriated by nothing. It's five words on a picture or whatever. So, yeah,
2: yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just really I believe in um, I, I like to think that my sharing my uh, sort of values based opinions on social media expresses some trust in the people that I call my friends Mm. in whatever platform I'm I'm on you know like like I you know I trust people to have conversations with me and if one of my friends surprises me and and is either you know inflammatory or hurtful or whatever I will deal with it you know Mm -hmm. but it's at least it's real
1: yeah and I guess that leads me well before I even get to my next comment or question What you just said just made me think to myself almost every time and not every single time, but almost every time I have gotten dragged down into one of those internet fights. And you know Mm -hmm. the ones I'm talking about. They they make you Mm -hmm. feel sick to your stomach. You can't stop thinking about it. You get up and pull your phone out at 3 a.m. because this person has just gotten under your skin and you have to show them how wrong they are. Almost every single time that's happened, it's been someone who I have very little connection to, A. And B, who I don't trust as someone to have a nuanced, caring conversation with anyway. It's like the guy I went to high school with that I never liked in the first place. Why am I even friends with him on Facebook? You know, right. why? and then why am I letting him eat up so much of my emotional energy that I'm going to worry about getting up in the middle of the night and like responding? <laughs> like, but that's how that's the trap. It's so easy to get caught in, caught up in, in this plat, in this way that we exchange online in this way that we interact online. Yeah, um, it and is. It's, and it's not real. Get
2: no. Know. And I, I think the other thing is that, you know, it, it is a really empowering thing to realize that you own your own time and your own attention. Right. You get to choose where you put it. And um, when someone sort of demonstrates, you know, they behave in a way that breaks your trust. And I'm not talking about expressing a different opinion. I think right. we both know no. we're, we're talking about somebody who just sort of like, They're trolling. Throws a barb. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Totally trolls you. Like and you and and then it's just like, oh, okay, well well, I know something about you now about how much I can trust you and how much, you know, how much time and attention I want to spend on you and I get to make a choice. So
1: I think that's a really nice that's a really nice feeling. Yeah. So that actually perfectly segues into my question, which was when not online, but when you're out in the world, you know, it's easy just to talk to people who think like us it's very easy. You can surround yourself all day with only with people who think pretty much the same way as you, um, or who you think do, you know, <laughs> if you don't think, if you don't dig too deep, right. Yeah, right.
0: How do you,
1: this is such a like very simple question, but I think you're going to understand what I mean. How do you listen? Like there's these hot topics or it's gun reform or the president or like any of these things that inflame the, the sides so strongly. How do you quiet all that and listen? And how do you decide who you're going to talk to? Like, I'm sure you don't go up to people and say, hey, we don't believe the same stuff. Let's have a conversation. How do you make it happen organically?
2: <laughs> well, I think uh, so. I live in Portland, Oregon. So you. <laughs> 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 yeah. What that means for those of you not familiar with Portland, Oregon, is I pretty much move around in circles with people who pretty much think the way that I do. Right.
1: And it's well, not because- maybe even like maybe even so far in the direction that you do that you're like wait what <laughs> like how do I catch up yeah no I get so that so I think
2: that's yeah that's just a reality it's not like uh, you know that's just a reality and I think that's certainly not everyone's reality a lot of people live in places where it just it's not like that. Um so so in some ways I can't exactly answer your question. Um yeah. I certainly don't feel like I search out conversations in social media, but you're asking about in person. Yeah. So in person, um, you know, so you know, I think what I try to do is um when I have been in situations and granted they have been sort of explicitly political situations. So like whether I'm like you know, holding a sign somewhere or, you know, whatever, doing like a, there have been various rallies and sort of peaceful demonstrations. And sometimes someone will come up to you and try to engage with you. And that's, I mean, that's so not the kind of conversation that you and I are talking about, you know, but what I will say is when that has happened and and they didn't agree with me politically, I would just sort of try to be a kind and respectful person. And if, if I can see within you know, a minute or two that they came to fight, then I, then I just sort of say, look, I appreciate that you have a different, you know, opinion. And then I step away. Um, but when it comes to just friends that have different opinions, I, I just recognize that there's so much more that we can talk about Yeah. and maybe starting at the most hot button issue probably isn't the place to start. You know, it's hard to start there. I, I can't start there. I mean, and it's just, And I'm also really not in the business of trying to convince people one way or the other, at least not in the beginning. You know, I like to share my values with my, you know, people that I trust, but that's not where I'm going to start generally with someone. So I think that's part of the answer is to just find the places where where you can just be together in different ways. You know, whether that's like, let's say, you know, you're a church going person or you're a person who volunteers with a big group of you know, big, diverse group of people, you know, maybe just um, focusing on the places where you have commonalities, you know, and building the relationship and the trust from there. Because once there's a little trust, then you can venture into more delicate territory. But it really starts with trust. Yeah. And um, if if that trust isn't there, then I'm not even going to go there with somebody.
1: And I think that this is also one of the things, like when you said, you know, the people come up to you at events and, and try to engage you. And that's happened to me a couple of times and actually not politically exactly, but I'm I'm not going to get into it, but I've been uncomfortably approached by people who obviously are coming from a very different place and kind of just want to get in my face about it. Mm-hmm. And I do think that the ability to say, well, thank you very much. Like, I don't really want to, like, this is not what I'm here to do or whatever. It's a muscle that you have to flex mm-hmm. because the, the good girl and me will want to there and talk to them and listen to them and sometimes take abuse and that's not like but it takes a while like you have to almost practice walking away a few times very before true you can do it so true and i or wait, until you can do it with confidence and just do it knowing the right moment to get out of the conversation that takes it takes practice On right and I, also
2: doing but, it and also doing it with a spirit of like you know what like sort of like i'm in charge of my time and attention right. you know i don't have to yell at you about it right i can just like disengage, yeah, and that's it. So yeah, it does take practice. It took me a long time to actually realize that I even had the right to do that. Yes,
1: and I think the other thing that may take some practice is is being able to sum up. And I don't want to say whether a conversation is worth having because I think everyone is is worthy and valuable and entitled to their opinion. But sometimes you can tell a conversation is going in a direction that's never going to be. It's never going to be fruitful, or mm-hmm. you can tell. That a person is never going to get to a place where you're going to be able to have a civilized conversation, and it's like, mm-hmm. also, I think a, uh, it takes practice. It's like flexing a muscle to learn when to disengage from that, like to mm-hmm. or to learn to not ever engage in the first place. To to sum it up quickly, and to know to never go there and never to delve in. And if you're a trusting person, I think sometimes that can be difficult. If you're open and trusting, you want to talk to people about everything. You don't want to say surface. You want to dive deep, and then you dive deep, and you're like, oh no, oh crap. <laughs> got to get out like i read alert. Yes, I got to yeah. swim back to the surface. I'm running out of oxygen. And I think that that probably I mean, has that been your experience like just learning who to engage with on that level and who yeah. to talk about potato salad with.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. I think the other thing I should mention is that in addition to living in Portland, um my family, my extended family, we are all pretty much of the same mind politically and that is the piece that has been so painful for so many people I know. Yeah. And that is that Um, It's it's the conversations inside your own family where, you know, clearly there's already love and hopefully trust, although we can't make assumptions about that. But um, that's when it's so painful because you can't walk away. You You know, you can't just uh, talk about potato salad with your closest family members for the rest of your life. Um, That is harder to navigate. And I wish I had I think there's probably somebody else who could speak to that better than I can, because I really sort of lucked out, you know, when I. When I'm thinking about, you know, Thanksgiving 2016, we all just sort of sat around and supported each other. But I know a lot of people didn't have that experience.
1: Well, in my family, I will say um, I have the experience of having at least one really close family member who's one of my best friends. um, And maybe more than that, that I spend time with on a regular basis who were completely opposite of me. And I think at some point it's a maturity thing it's like, we all just looked at it and said, this is too heated. We're not going there anymore. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we just don't talk about it. And when it does come up, you can like, you can see the discomfort in the room and everybody just like agrees to not discuss it anymore. And it goes away. And, Mm -hmm. um, that was really hard for me for a while because I really felt like I needed to say what was on my mind. Like I needed to have it exit my mouth and
2: be on Especially with somebody you love, you know, clearly you love this person Yeah. And uh, and you want to talk to the people you love about the stuff that's inside. That's so important. Yeah, it's hard when sometimes those aren't the things. And what's really
1: hard is sometimes you can agree, like you can appear to see eye to eye with someone like on so many levels, like your your worldview is the same. Your morals are the same, like all of these things are the same. But the way you got there and the way they got there is the opposite. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think the the hardest part to reconcile, because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like remember remember yeah, how we I agreed know. about that, 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 and that. And then wait, what now? Like And therefore And, there, and therefore and and that's been a big lesson for me. Like how yeah. someone else arrives at that place. Either they've got there differently or they take it and go somewhere else. Like mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's coming in or going out, but either way it's very different. And um that's that's hard. And then a lot of people yeah. are in that place. And I, I I hope it's peaceful for them. That's all I can say. Because if it's not, it really stinks. <laughs>
2: Well, I had a really interesting conversation with a good friend who I've recently gotten to know, and she was talking about how one of her closest friends, um, sort sort of like what you're talking about, one of her closest friends, you know, came down differently on, you know, political choices and stuff. And really, for a period of time, both of them had to step away. And recently, um, they came back together, you know, they had a chance to actually see each other in person. And, um, my friend said, you know, I'm really sorry. I have to admit something. And that was that I, I unfollowed you on Facebook because I just couldn't, I couldn't listen anymore, but I just want you to know that I, I love you and, and you're my friend and I, I don't want to do that, but I just couldn't listen. And the friend said, I unfollowed you too. Uh you know, and they yeah. laughed about it and they hugged and they said, okay, well, you know, it's going to, maybe we can't talk about this political stuff. But there are all these other things. And at least they established that they love each other still. Yeah. And and that was that's a big deal to like make yourself vulnerable enough to actually say that.
1: And it's not so. our job. It's not our job to convince everybody that we're right. Or, yeah. Like or to get people to change their minds. Like there it's not. And we we can't have that just like your kids are gonna be who they're gonna be. Um, yeah. you can guide and be an example and all those things, but like you can't force anybody to think anything. And that gives you way too much power that you don't have.
2: Right. Right. And in the end, maintaining connections with the people that we love, um, despite those differences, you know, there's going to come a time soon when we're not going to be in this charged moment.
1: Yes. And if those ties, yeah, yeah, if those
2: ties are still there, I mean, maybe they're thinner, but if those ties are still there, you can walk back down that path and say, hey, you know, like paths diverged for a while, you know, like, What if we like got together and you know, whatever? Like, yeah, again, you don't have to start at the hot button issue, you can start at potato salad, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like just start back at potato salad and and you know, find your way back. Maybe
1: you know, that's a possibility, it is a possibility. I love that. I before we wrap up, I definitely want to talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts and logistics of doing this kind of work that you're doing right now. Um, I know that you have a heart for moms with young kids because you wrote about that for so long.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know
1: a lot of our listeners are hearing this and saying, you know, I'm feeling like maybe I could find my voice a little bit in whatever way. It, maybe it's one issue that they feel really strongly about that they want to talk about. Or maybe it's their local, their local, their their township or their city or something where they feel like they can make a difference. Like what have you found? Because I have to admit that I have dabbled in different kinds of political activities. And sometimes I've been frustrated by feeling like they're more social clubs than actually doing anything. And mm-hmm. my time is very limited and precious to me. And I don't like to go to something just to see and be seen. And yes. I almost find myself getting almost angry <laughs> sometimes, yeah. which is not fair, probably because everyone has their different ways of wanting to put things together. But I found myself getting like irritated to the point of anger when I feel like this thing I thought was going to be making a difference is actually is more like a social a more like a social thing. So right. what activities have you done that you have felt good about? Whether in whatever way that is for you, and maybe the social thing is part of it. Um mm-hmm. but please. So
2: hmm, okay, so this is really interesting. All right. So I've done a whole bunch of different things. Um and um the first thing, the main thing is that I love doing things in person because seeing other people's faces, yes. eyes, hearing them, talking to them about, you know, partially politics, but also other stuff just makes makes me feel more grounded. So that's the first thing. Um, I have done a number of different things. I have sat with people in a bar and written postcards to try to get um, people to vote. Yep. I have um, had meetings with people and listened to guest speakers. I have sat at my desk by myself making phone calls to voters. That's something that one can do. One can also yeah. even write postcards from home so you don't have to go out to a meeting because Frankly, when you have little kids, um, it's really hard to go to meetings and it's also really hard sometimes to predict when you're going to be available. Right. Um, that's really fun. I have, um, the, my favorite thing that I'm doing right now actually is that I am, um, I've joined a program called the neighborhood leader program, which is something through my, um, County democratic party. And so what that allows me to do is walk around and just talk to my neighbors, literally my neighbors, and just make sure they have what they need to do their voting. It's not a, um, it's it's not even really a, uh, it's not campaigning. It's just, you know, do you have your ballot? Do you have what you need? You right. know, can I help you with anything? That's been fun because it's just put me right in front of, um, you know, my neighbors. And that's been fun to talk to folks with. So I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where, if people want to find their voices politically or they want to have an impact, there you can do it in any number of ways from five minutes once to something you do every day. You could do it at your house, you can by yourself, or you could go to meetings. I mean, there are all sorts of different things. And yeah. actually, maybe what I might do is just you know, send you some links and then you can, you know, link them up in your show notes. Oh, I would love that. Please do. I feel like maybe that might be easiest for your listeners. But I guess the main thing I would say is that um, while I have been spending a lot of time and a lot of energy doing this, that is not the case. That's not what everyone needs to do, should be doing. It's not like that. You know, it's one of those. This is sort of the beauty, I think, of citizen engagement is that if we just plug ourselves in even a little bit, we call our legislator once. we you know, whatever. Um, that actually makes a huge difference. I love so that. So it's not, it's really not about the amount of time you spend or the kind of meetings you have to go to.
1: There are things you can do in five minutes that make a difference.
2: There are things you can do in two minutes that can make a difference. And sometimes that can be as simple as having a conversation with a friend. Yeah. So it doesn't even have to, it, you know, it really is just bringing this sort of notion of participating into your consciousness and then acting on it.
1: I love it. Well, Asha, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've loved oh. catching up with you.
2: Same, same. I mean, thanks for asking all these interesting questions. I haven't even thought of half this stuff this way before. Well,
1: now you'll have to keep it in mind in case someone else asks you the questions. You could just be like, oh, well, I've thought about that a lot, actually. Listen to this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Um, everybody, if you want to find out more about Asha, you can listen. I, I think because everyone listening to this as a podcast listener, they should check your podcast out, edit your life. And where's the easiest way for them to find edit your life? I mean, I know you can find it in an app, but
2: yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you can just go to edit your com. That's our, that's our that's website. website. And you can also find us on Facebook.
1: That's a good way to search through old episodes and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. And I know we've had Christine on the show and, and you on the show now twice and you guys are awesome people. So um oh, thank everyone you. check that out. They're they're our favorites. And um I hope we can have another conversation maybe like in a year or so, Asha, on this show and maybe just see where we're at. Oh, that sounds great. Gosh, can you imagine?
2: I <laughs> think our lives are gonna look so different then. They are,
1: they are. It's all fun and it's all exciting. Thanks,
2: Asha. Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, thank you to Asha for that amazing and inspiring interview. Again, guys, if you want to find out more about some of the things we talked about. Links to Asha's website and some of the resources that she mentioned in that second half there. Also, all of our sponsor information. You can just go to the Mom Hour and look for episode 31 of our voices. You can scroll through um, in the app. Or if you go online, you can actually search for Asha's name. And you can find everything you need to know about this interview. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.